At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You found primetime action with Gil Alexander and Matt Brown on VSIN, the sports betting network. Hour number three of primetime action here on a Tuesday. Matt Brown, Adam Burke on the desk here on Tuesday. Kelly Bidlin is behind the glass back there. We did get those 6 o'clock tips going here uh, momentarily. We've got some puck drops at 6 as well on the Pacific end. Uh, Stars and Avalanche. We've got the Jackets and the Flames as well. Coming at you, two big favorites in that one. Minus 260 Avalanche at home. Minus 280 Flames at home as well. Uh, Kelly, I started to take a look at the golf tournament this week as well. If everybody has been, if anybody's been paying attention to us so far, I mean, look, there's been some wonky tournaments so far this year. There's been some fields that haven't been quite as strong as they have been, you know, as, as you would maybe be used to whenever you are paying attention to golf. That is not the case this week for the Genesis Invitational over in Pacific Palisades, California at the Riviera Country Club. This is one of those uh, very, very, very deep fields. 35 of the top 50 in the world golf rankings, including all of the top 10, will be teeing it off this week at Riviera for the Genesis. And so, you know, you and I were kind of talking off air and you know we'll have a full we'll have a full breakdown of this tournament tomorrow. But yeah, Wes on tomorrow too. Yeah, we'll be we'll be doing a lot of golf tomorrow. But yep. you look at this how deep this field is, right? And we're talking Rom, Cantlay, JT, Dustin Johnson, Matsuyama, Morikawa, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, Cam Smith, Vic Hovland, Zalatoris, Kepka, Jordan Spieth. You know, on and on here. Sam Burns, Bubba Watson, Adam Scott, all these guys, Tony Finau. Kyle Porter today tweeted, the strength of this field is at 696. I'm not sure what the, the scale mm-hmm. is for that. It's slightly higher than that of the 2020 Masters. Yeah. Yes. It is. It's it's insane how deep this field is. And and one of the things that we were just saying, you know, on, on break, Kelly, which is like, you know, this is one of the things I do want to point out to everybody. You know, three weeks ago, I bet John Rahm at plus 725. Well, the field that John Rahm was in, comparatively to this field, where he is eight to one right now, it's insane. The field was exponentially weaker, and the only reason I would ever bet a short shot like a John Rahm in a field like that is because it is so incredibly, so incredibly likely that John Rahm is contending in a in a field like that than it is in a field like this. Like, John Rahm can play really, really, really good golf and not win this tournament very – like, you know, I mean, again, the plus 800 is just insanity, right? I mean, like, like this. everyone in this field should be double digits. I don't think anyone should be shorter than, like, 12. So even Cantlay at 10 yeah. is too short for me. But, again, when you're talking everyone in the top 10 and 35 of the top 50, you can play very, 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 very good golf – 
and come up short. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's – I mean, for anybody betting this tournament, and, they, and Matt, I think you've dug into it a little bit. I really haven't at all much at all, uh, at all here yet. But you, just with those numbers, you're like raw made to one. Can't lay 10 to one. Yeah. I love JT. I bet him last week. I was hoping to bet him, on, bet him this week. But I can't really justify betting him even at 14 to one. It feels too short. With, with, the, with the quality of players that are in this tournament, I, uh, I will tell you guys that I know me and you have talked about Morikawa making a return this week. Someone we'd like to keep an eye on. I would not have a problem betting him at a number around 20 to 1 if I can find that. Mm-hmm. I think the other one that Wes, I know he will talk about this tomorrow more that I think he's spot on with is a guy like when we get to see certain guys at a certain quality level and win equity level, like a Rory McElroy drift all the way into those right. 20s, that's where some value I think ends up to show, especially with Rory. I mean, he had, he had what? He almost won a tournament uh, uh, they were doing in the middle. East, right? Like three weeks ago or something. So that that's, I think that's a guy I've kind of already circled in my mind. Uh, you always got to keep in mind the California kids that have always, that always play this course. Homa won this last year. Homa won it last year. I had a ticket on him last year for this event. I have a feeling I'll be going right back to him again. I think he's around, he's triple digits for this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as he should be probably. Well, he's but, 50 to 1. 50 to 1 there. Yeah. Okay. I saw him at 100 to 1 somewhere else earlier today. Yeah. So I'm going to run and bet that after the show, probably. Yeah. So Homa's 50 <laughs> to 1 at DraftKings. But, but like, that's where I guess we talk about just this, this field in general and like the win equity on this and why an 8 to 1 is just so. To, in my opinion, egregious, even if Rom is the best player in the world, where you have these guys that are proven winners on tour that you can get at these much, much. I mean, look, Sam Burns in the West Coast golf guy. I'm going to start playing Sam Burns a ton once we get over to the once we get into Florida. But like Sam Burns is 40. Bubba Watson, who's won here, 45. Adam Scott, multiple wins, 45. Tony Finau finally got over the hump last year, 50. Mark Leishman, 50. A guy that you love more than more than anything. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, 60. You know, Probably I mean, Neiman. yes. Sergio, multiple time winner, 60. A guy that we've seen play very, very well this year in Seamus Power at 60. So, I mean, like, there is. It's just uh, again we'll, we'll we'll really really get into this and, and why tomorrow. But look, I, I just can't justify even if I can say a hundred percent that John Rahm's the best player in the world right now, or that him and Cantlay are definitely one and two, and you can flip flop them however you want to. But at eight to one and ten to one. I can't get there. Now, if you want to tell me you want to play them top 10 at the plus 110 or something like that, hey, look. He's been, like, automatic. They're yeah. going to get close to the top 10. Like, you're going to have a sweat come Sunday that, like, regardless, right? But, like, an outright win in a field like this at 8-1, to one, it's just hard for me to get there. Yeah, the, the one other guy I want to bring up that kind of in the same case as, as far as the odds being too short, mm-hmm. and I, Jeremy, our director, brought this up to me earlier today. I think he's all over it. Uh Beyond what's going on in his head after after uh, blowing that uh, the, the possible win in the playoff hole, uh, Will Zalatoris at twenty eight to one. I love the guy. We love right. what he could do in the future. But could you really play him at twenty eight right. to one when this in a field this field? strong? Yeah, in a field this strong. In a field this right. strong after what just happened a couple weeks ago. I'm sorry, that's a guy. I'm I'm staying far away from. This he point. looks so tentative. In that final round, he did not look – like. I mean, you could see his hands were shaking as he was, like, going to make those putts and stuff on site. Look, he's a young guy. It was the first time he was there. Maybe the experience was worth it for him, you know, and maybe he can get over that. But not not at 28-1 to 1 for me. He ain't going to be in my, my portfolio at all. 
You know, and the late, great Brian Blasting, I talk golf with him all the time. And, you know, one of the things that he would talk about is, you know, watching on Thursday and Friday, watching the rounds, seeing, you know, what actually happened. You know, mm-hmm. a scorecard can only tell you so much. Was there a guy who was just spraying the ball all over the place off the tee, but, you know, it would, it would hit a tree and kick into the fairway or, you know, hit a cart path mm-hmm. and it would roll down 25 yards, something like that. You know, but the guy's all over the place. He's not hitting a fairway. Yeah. He's just getting lucky or he's scrambling or something like that. In a tournament with a field like this, you can look for those price plays Friday night. Yeah. Or maybe a John Rahm is three, four shots off the pace of a very loaded board, and he's 20 to 1 or yeah. 18 to 1 or something like that. And that's a guy plenty capable of coming out and shooting a 62 or a 63 on Saturday. So even if it's not a pre tournament position that you take, certainly you can find something on Friday night with an elite level player who's a few shots back, maybe not a 150 to 1 like Scotty yep. Scheffler last weekend, but you know somebody who's in striking distance going into Saturday. If you do look at this and you do want to start your research tonight, like I know uh, Kelly will do, um, Max Homa, Adam Scott, J.B. Holmes, Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson again in 2016, and then James Hahn are your last winners here. The tie-in to Homa, Scott, Holmes, Watson, Johnson, and, of course, Watson again, they're all pretty long off the tee, right? These are all guys that are pretty – they have pretty good distance off of the tee, and it seems to be kind of a pattern here of late. Now, if you go into the winners previous to that, there have been some of these shorter hitters and stuff. But, Kelly, I think that that isn't indicative of today's game because that was just – even eight years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago, everybody wasn't 310 off the – you know what I'm saying? So, it's it, even though shorter guys have won here before – once you go pre-tweet 2015, yeah. I don't really take that into account now, right? Yeah, I, I think you got to be longer. I think you got to look at the recent trends. I think you got to look at what kind of today's game brings well, to the there's table. There's two things that happened, right? You had you had golfers that got longer off the tee, and then golf courses forced to adjust mm-hmm. to make their courses even longer. So it's kind of a double whammy for those guys that are that are hitting it shorter. They, they kind of get a hit from both sides. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that's something you got to look at. This tournament. Uh, every year, green one of the one of the lowest greens in regulation percentage. So you're going to want to look at guys that are good around the greens. Um, you know, guys are going to be able to scramble and get themselves out of some dirty situations. Bottom two in driving accuracy since 2015 on the tour. This course, so super narrow fairways. You're going to want guys that hit fairways as much as humanly possible. They've got these weird, like firm, fast POA greens, and so. It's a top five course for missed putts inside 15 feet and outside 15 feet. So it's just tough to putt on on this course in general. And then just look at some guys and how they play out of the sand. There's not water on this course, but there's just bunkers everywhere. And there's bunkers all over the place. And that's how they make this course really tough is they have it kind of guarded with bunkers all over the place. There's a there's a par three that's got a bunker right in the center of the it's right in the center of the green. So there's that as well. So just something that you can you can kind of look at here as you start to put together your uh your card for the week. As we look uh, at the games that are that are going on out there, Kelly, right now, the Mavericks did start to put together a little bit of something, something here in the second half, and uh, we're looking sixty-four to seventy. So they've closed that lead just a little bit there on the Heat. Luca still struggling though, three of twelve from the floor tonight. So they're getting it done with the rest of the guys helping out. Luca has gotten to the free throw line eight times tonight, which we know he is very, very good at doing. 
Yeah, that will help out. Yeah, 3 of 12, not, not great. They only one turnover, so that, that's pretty impressive with the defense that Miami's going to throw at you. Boston's now up 35. I was just going to say that. Yeah, they are up 35 on the Sixers, this Sixers teams right now. Hawks, Cavs playing a very close game. That is 87 84. Atlanta, two and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Bucks up six on the Pacers at the half, 69 63. Uh, Grizzlies up on the Pelicans, 65 53 at the half. Desmond Bain only with five points. Oh, boy. We're going to see if the Sixers start emptying the bench here. I'm wondering what that live spread might be. It might be worth just even looking at the 27 at the and a half. Yeah, even with it being that that big. Coming back here, primetime action on Tuesday. with Gil Alexander and Matt Brown on VSIN, the sports betting network. PTA here on a Tuesday. Matt Brown, Adam Burke, Kelly Midland behind the glass back there. Uh, we are we are coming in on a on a forty point deficit for the 76ers in the third quarter. It is ninety three to fifty four in this game right now, guys. What's what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I I don't know. You're getting one of those uh, Jalen Brown games, man. Twenty nine points, seven rebounds. <laughs> and that's why they're at forty in the third quarter. <laughs> Derek White's chipping in uh, with his uh, not his debut. Yeah, is it his debut? I don't think he's played yet. Eleven points for them. Twenty five minutes yeah. off of the, the bench. Plus thirty five. I mean, obviously that's what it is. You bring in Derek White. His plus minus is plus thirty five. There it is. Of the 54 points for the 76ers in this game, 20 are at the free throw line. And <laughs> 13 of those long to be 48 from the floor. And all yeah. of their starters plus minus, at least minus 21 or higher. That's I, I was I mean I was sitting there looking at this I'm like I think there's you just can't bet over on Embiid props these days because he's playing so well I mean it was point prop is 31 and a half 31 and a half the rebounds were like 12 and a half and I was like man there's there's like no this is a great defensive team on the yeah. Boston side but they have no bigs and I'm like nobody's gonna be able to stop Embiid clearly they're just fouling him all the time I mean he's been, he's only got nine shots off from the field but he's been in the line 16 times he's 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 got 19 which is by far the leading scorer on it, but he, minus thirty four. Kelly, minus minus he's thirty. He's, minus, he's, he's terrible. He's, Worst player in the league. He's a minus thirty four. Uh, is this guy? So you heard us talking all last week about this interview that Brent Musburger was able to sit down with Billy Walters. Billy Walters, a legendary sports better. If you have not fully grasped, like you know, the last ten days we've been pumping this up. If you have not fully kind of grasped who Billy Walters is, again, go back to the 60 Minutes interview that he did 10 years ago. You can find that online. Get a little bit more of a background story on him. But this was only the second interview that he ever sat down and did a one-on-one with, and we were able to secure that. I mean, again, 10 years later after the 60 Minutes interview that he did. This is available for free over on VEASAN.com. So to give you a little taste of what's going on over there, and uh, be sure and check out the full interview at VEASAN.com. But here's a here's a look at Brent and Billy. I always thought Bob Martin, the legendary bookmaker, he was the Babe Ruth of our industry. I would say Billy is more like the Michael Jordan of our industry. He's won the most. Uh, you know, he has the most. Let's put, let's put it this way. 
Everyone in the world tried to find out his games. So that in itself tells you how good he is. Did he win every bet every weekend? No, not at all. But oftentimes his sides were the sides that I wanted to be on. One thing I know about Monday morning quarterbacking is because if I'd played Monday morning quarterback, uh, I would be in a, in a loony bin now because it's very easy to see the answer to something after, after the fact, okay? And, uh, and, and I'm probably uh, less critical of, of people after the fact than anyone you'll meet because I, of my past experience. But uh, some of the decisions being made today that people are trying to, you know, use so-called analytics are just, they're unbelievable to me. When you look at the risk and you look at the reward, I mean, I mean, to me it's as simple as one, two, three. What do you have to gain? What do you have to lose? I've got a lot of knots on my head because uh, I've been broke a lot of times like, like Jimmy's talked about over the years. Uh, there was a lot of... Many more failures and more successes before I became successful. But betting sports is, uh, people want to talk about analytics, they want to talk about, you know, computer programs and models and things such as that. That's part of it. A lot of the people that think they understand analytics today, they can't spell analytics. <laughs> I see a lot of, I see a lot of very poor coaching decisions and where coaches, coaches are blaming when they ask why they made some real dumb decision that a gambler would never make in a million years, they say, well, we did it because of analytics. That's the end of the conversation because the per per person asking the question doesn't understand analytics, and they don't know what the follow-up question is to ask them. But I've seen some of the dumbest coaching decisions I've ever made since people started employing analytics that don't understand analytics. And again, when they're asked that question by someone in the media as to why they did it, uh, they answer analytics, and person in the question, uh, the, the, the media, person who's asking the question, normally would have a follow-up question, right? Exactly. But they, they don't know the follow-up question to ask because they don't understand it either. Analytics has been around for a long, long time, and uh, it's like common sense, so to speak. It's not so common. To, I mean, it's, it's uh, frankly, uh, Regards to the sport, uh, having somebody that understands risk reward uh, from a gambler standpoint, uh, uh, you, you may be a much better served if they made a lot of those type of decisions. And I'm trying to be kind. Again, the full interview is available over on vston.com, just the second interview ever with Billy Walters, last one 10 years ago. So be sure and check that out. And again, Adam, a guy that if people are not familiar with just the weight that he brings to our little bubble and our little world, uh, a name that was kind of almost of legend there for a while. He was almost like a ghost you would hear. Uh, Billy, what what game is Billy Walters on? You know, this, that, and the other. It's, it's pretty... Uh, Pretty cool that we were able to, to get an interview with him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they called him the Michael Jordan of sports betting for a reason. And, and a guy that just had so much weight and so much influence in the market in terms of where lines moved. Uh, you know, people trying to figure out if it was his move or mm -hmm. somebody else's, trying to kind of piggyback it and follow along with it. 
yeah, I mean, what, what Billy Walters meant to this industry and also kind of the way that not only did he change our side of the counter, but also the other side of the counter, yeah. uh, you know, just a tremendous impact for sure. Yeah, we had we had that, I mean, we did that show Friday night, and we had all so many good odds makers and bookmakers here in town, and just listen to them talk about how you didn't know if a runner was there to for a bit of a head fake move for Billy or if you didn't know if it was the real bet, and oftentimes you kind of had to bet yourself on whether that runner was for real or not, and yet, like you're saying, Adam, it, it changed. I think it changed what they do back there forever. Well, we had Roxy in here, and Roxy Roxborough's company basically provided the lines to the majority of the sports books here in, in Las Vegas for a long while. And one of the things that he was basically saying was, you know, Billy talks about analytics in that, you know, in that clip right there. And he's, you know, he was one of the guys that was was running simulations and running computer stuff and everything before, you know, it was readily available. I mean, all the stuff that you and I can now easily go find online, this was stuff he was doing well before everybody else, which put him at such an incredible advantage. And one of the things Roxy was saying was these, uh, basically like his power ratings when it came to like college basketball and like win totals and different things like that. He said that theirs were just better. Right. And like, so they just knew in a lot of these college basketball games, like their power rankings, their strength of schedules, their everything that they had was just stronger than what they were putting out. So they just had a very, very big edge in the college basketball market where they just knew that this team was not being properly rated compared to this team. And, and Roxy said, yeah, I mean, that's just was one of the things where we re- we learned kind of the hard way that he was just had better numbers than we did when it came to that. Right, and, and that's why he stayed on our side of the counter, why he mm-hmm. didn't go and start setting numbers and, and being a bookmaker or anything like that. You know, he he had his advantages. He knew that he could beat the market, and so that's what he did because, mm-hmm. you know, you have uncapped earning potential at that point in time as opposed to, you know, giving up all your information. And as Kelly mentioned about, you know, having guys, you know, you get – you get as good as he does. You got to have guys make some bets for you and different things like that or whatever. And then, you know, Roxy said that was kind of the once once his edge slowed down a little bit and they started to figure out things here and there or whatever. And it, it's all legal and it still happens to this day. We talk about this all the time, but like that was when the real kind of the the line manipulations started, right? Where it would be like he would he would move a line in advance to get it to the number that he wanted, and then come back way heavier once the line got to where he wanted it on on that side, you know, and so. It was it was one of those things where he was realized as the as the edge kind of dwindled that he would just make his edge bigger. <laughs> he would he would make his own edge, right? He would be, go in and be like, I'm gonna make my edge better. And you know, again, we still see that to this day. Market manipulation, you know, we, we see it all the time. Like, you know, is is there a is this game is this total really drifting up or is this people setting up, you know, to come back on or whatever it might be? But uh, Billy again, one of the one of the guys that was the the first to kind of really do that to his advantage, and, and it paid off for him as well there. Well, and that's what the smartest people do, right? Mm-hmm. They adapt. You know, when yep. you start losing an edge, as you were talking about, you know, they started figuring out better ways to set numbers, mm-hmm. incorporating some more of those statistics and all that. So Billy Walters had to adapt, and that's mm-hmm. what he did. And that's what the best in the world do in any industry. But it's something that Billy did that, you know, a lot of those things, the market manipulation, arbitrage, and middling and all that, still very prevalent today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was a trailblazer in so many different ways. End of three in Philadelphia, Celtics 101, 76ers 58. Oh, boy. That's got to be the end of Embiid's night. You would think. You would think. He's, he's He will leave, if that's the case, with 19 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, 13 of 16 from the free throw line. Jason Tatum, 28 points, 12 rebounds, 6, uh, six assists. Jalen Brown, 29 points, 8 rebounds. The 
the don't look now, the don't look now sounder. We enter the fourth. The Mavericks come all the way back, outscore the Heat 30 to 19 in the third quarter. They lead 81 to 78 as we head into the fourth quarter. Luca now sitting with 21 points. We'll take a look at NBA Coach of the Year on the other side here. Primetime action. You are looking live at primetime action with Gil Alexander and Matt Brown on VSIN, the sports betting network. Primetime action. Matt, Adam, Kelly. Looking here at uh, my first college basketball bet of the year. Got a little money line bet on Kentucky. They're losing, not winning. Long time to go. Doesn't matter. There's uh, 11:27 left in the first uh, half there, so we got we got some time. Some other stuff that did come out over the course of today that we didn't really hit on at the top of the show. Um, Joe Burrow. It looks as if, at least the initial reports are, that he didn't actually tear anything, despite the fact that his leg went in uh, the opposite direction of which way it's supposed to go. Um, it is he did it is suffer a knee injury is all they're saying, but it won't require surgery based on the initial test. He'll have to rehab, but it shouldn't drastically alter his offseason. So if you are a Cincinnati Bengal fan, I can only imagine you are doing cartwheels, backflips, and everything else right now because, you know, a another kind of offseason of, of complete rehab for him could have been disastrous. But the fact that if it's just uh if it's just kind of getting that knee in shape, then then good on them. And again, we have said this time and time again and we'll continue to say this time and time again. I looked at three mock drafts to this this morning. All three had an offensive lineman going to Cincinnati with the first round pick. Um you have to think, though, that, you know, they redo that offensive line, maybe go get a corner. This is a team with the third most cap space in the NFL. Now, they've historically, as a franchise, been cheap. So this is going to tell a lot about this franchise in general, what they do this offseason, because you have a young squad here that can win for the next foreseeable future while you've got these guys on rookie contracts. If they do not go revamp this offensive line, if they don't go get a corner, if they don't maybe add a little bit of something maybe at the linebacker position or whatever, then I think if you're Joe Burrow, and I know it's a long way away, but I think if you're Joe Burrow, you're Jamar Chase and all this, you're probably going, I'm not re-signing here then. Like, you know, I mean, if we have the third most cap space in the NFL and we're not going to take advantage of of this window right here, then why the hell would I sign a long-term deal to stay in Cincinnati? No, no, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, look, I think they have to take an offensive lineman with the first pick. And, and the thing about offensive linemen in the draft is when you look historically, guys that are typically second and third round picks tend to be first-year starters in yeah. the NFL. You know, maybe it's a, an internal offensive yep. line position, a guard or something like that. But if they take, let's say, you know, three of their first four picks are linemen, and then they take a, a corner with their second mm-hmm. rounder or something like that, now, all of a sudden, this team looks dramatically different for next season, along with the money that they have to spend in free agency if they decide to go that route. You know, like a Teron Armstead, somebody like that. I was about to say, like, very good fit. Like, we know for sure the Saints are not going to be able to afford Teron Armstead. So, Teron Armstead is going to be available. He is a high end starting left tackle in the NFL. This, like, that would be the. That would be the gift that kept on giving to Joe Burrow and all this. Like if they, if if you're Joe Burrow and you hear that that your team is in on Teron Armstead and getting him in in, in the offseason, 
that would be just, I can only imagine, like that would be just a, a magical moment for him because he's like, okay, we're investing in this team, we're investing in me, my health, and we're investing in us having success on the offensive side of the ball. Because again, the only thing that prevents this offense for the next three seasons from not being one of the most high-flying offenses in the NFL is strictly that offensive line. Right. No, you're absolutely right. That's exactly the position that they need to fix, and, and everybody knows it, and everybody sees it. And look, also, if you're a player agent, you see it too. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're Teron Armstead's agent and the Bengals are interested, you go, yeah, well, what's here? Give us a blank check and we'll fill in a number for you because we know that that's what you need. So something else I want to make sure we mention really quickly mm-hmm. here while we're still talking about the futures. You know, we talk about Atlanta and Carolina, right, at, at 50 to 1. Neither Matt nor I believe that either one of those teams can win the Super Bowl. Right. Like, it's just not going to happen. The idea is getting a price play, getting a team that can get into the playoffs, and then at that point, you guarantee some profit. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the Falcons are not winning the Super Bowl. We, we both get that. So people may be listening out there going, why would I ever bet the Atlanta Falcons to win the Super Bowl? It's because you want to get a team into the tournament, as Matt has said before, and then kind of see what happens. They're going to get a home game. If you win that division, you get a home game in the playoffs, which inherently kind of makes you live to begin with. So then yep. you could start hedging into it and all of that. The point is to guarantee profit. It's not to pick the winner when you bet a future, it's to guarantee profit. And if you get the winner, then that's a bonus. We start to look at some of these guys, and you know, we mentioned Tron Armstead. I mean, he he is going to hit the market again. The Saints just can't afford him. There's just there there there's no way for them to even with all of the voodoo and the magic that they did last year with the salary cap, they just can't do it again this year to be able to afford him. He will hit. Now, Devontae Adams, obviously the number one free agent, likely not to hit them. They're gonna they'll tag him. Like he he's gonna get tagged. If he doesn't want to sign a long-term deal there, he's going to get the whatever the – I think we saw it was 20 what – what was it, Kelly? Something $24 million or something like that or whatever for the tag or something like that. I mean, so he'll get a, a huge one-year deal, and, and he ain't going to hit the market. But, you know, a guy like Armstead's out there. You have to figure – you have to wonder what the Bucks think about Chris Godwin after him coming off of that, that massive injury and, and also the fact that they look at this team and go, man, we're in rebuild mode do we really sign Chris Godwin and put a ton of money into him when we're not going to win very many games as it is anyway, right? Like, I mean, it really depends on what that quarterback situation ends up looking like for them. But you do have a guy in Chris Godwin that could end up in a, you know, let's say a dream scenario for you, like a Cleveland Brown, you know, like whatever. If, if he could end up a Cleveland Brown or if he could end up, you know, one of these squads that we keep saying that they need just that that one kind of playmaker or something, and then you look at them completely different. So I think Chris Godwin actually, when it's all said and done, I actually think it's a coin flip as to whether he hits the market or not because I, I do think if you're Tampa, you have to be realistic about your situation and understand that he's going to cost you – Four years, 70-ish million or something like that. And it's like, if you're not going to win for the next four years, then you're just kind of wasting that money. Right. And obviously, look, I mean, we've seen quarterbacks play very late into their 30s. And obviously, a guy like Mm -hmm. Tom Brady played into his 40s. You know, we saw Peyton Manning's skills deteriorate rather quickly. But a guy that did play late into his career. So it is a possibility in the NFL that Mm -hmm. if you go out and get a Russell Wilson or somebody like that, that he could be your quarterback for the next five, six years. But also, too... The worst place in any pro sport to be is in the middle. Yep. You either want to be really good or really, really bad. So if you're a team like Tampa Bay, you know, I mean, you, you kind of have a win now core to a degree. Yeah. So maybe they could go get a Russell Wilson or somebody like that. 
The Saints are not. The Saints yes. are not in a good spot. They're better off being as bad as humanly possible. Try to pick in that top five. Maybe you get your quarterback of the future because, look, you've got C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young coming out very, very soon in the NFL draft. So, you know, you have teams that are going to have to take stock of their own situations. The Buccaneers at least have a lot of talent to play with. The Saints do not. The Panthers, if they get a Russell Wilson or, or somebody of that ilk, are they a team that can actually make a little bit of a run? Possibly. So those are things that all of these teams are kind of looking at internally mm-hmm. and things that we as betters need to look at to understand what their situations are and what they may actually do in the offseason. Franchise yeah. tag for wide receiver this year around 20 mil. Around 20? Yep. So, I mean, and, and you look, you know, another guy that could be hitting the market that, again, could change our view on a team in general, change our view on what we think is is worth some of these numbers. I mean, Allen Robinson is a guy that has never played with a good quarterback basically in his entire life. You know, can he finally land in a spot with a good quarterback? And if that's the case, I mean, this is a guy that has always had all the talent in the world, but has never been able to do that. I mean, if he lands in, you know, one of these spots where we're saying that's desperate for kind of one of those wide receiver playmakers, that could really change. A guy like Robinson also could change my view of kind of how I, I look at a team. Right. No, and also something else to keep in mind, too. We talk about the Chiefs being, you know, plus 750, one of the co-favorites, mm-hmm. something like that. Both of us are kind of talking about maybe taking a piece of the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah. They have the second most available cap space. The offense is perfectly fine. Maybe yeah. they could get another lineman to help Herbert, something like that. They're going to focus on the defense. Let's say they make a huge defensive splash. Right. Get the biggest free agent that's out there, somebody like that. All of a sudden, maybe that Chiefs price goes from plus 750 to plus 950 or 10 to 1 or something where the teams around them are building towards something. So that's another reason why you take a look at these longer shots as opposed to these shorter prices at this point in time. If you're a really good team, you probably don't have cap room. You've got a late first-round pick. You know, you don't really have a lot of areas of great improvement that you can make, a lot of strides you can make, but these other teams do. And that's why now is the time to bet them, and you start looking at the shorter prices either in season or kind of as some of those dominoes start to fall with free agency and all that. NBA Coach of the Year, we have a clear, clear favorite in this market. We've talked about this one a few times throughout the course of the season. Monty Williams now all the way to minus 220. J.B. Bickerstaff at plus 320. Taylor Jenkins at 6-1. to one. Billy Donovan 7-1. to one. Spolstra is at 9-1. to one. Everybody else 16-1 to one or longer. Adam, when you look at this, I mean, I, I look – I get it. I mean, with Monty Williams, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think what J.B. Bickerstaff is doing right now might be more impressive or what Taylor Jenkins is doing right now is more impressive. But when you have the best team in the NBA and if you end up with the best team in the NBA with the best record in the NBA and considering, you know, playing in the Western Conference where there was at least everyone thought the Lakers were going to be good. Everyone thought that some of these other teams would be better than they are. I can kind of get where this price is. That said, I would never lay 220 in this market. No, absolutely not. The one thing that's tough about the NBA is that historically this award has gone to the team with the best record. Mm-hmm. And in other sports like baseball, like the NFL, it generally go, tends to go to the team that makes a really big turnaround that goes from being really bad to being pretty good. I think the one thing that could help Bickerstaff is that ever since LeBron left, the Cavs have just been a doormat. Yeah, and, and now they're a pretty good team. So maybe that's something that does help Bickerstaff because this is a team that was in the spotlight for a long period of time and then just completely fell out of it. A couple of finals in the NHL. The Blues 5-2 to two over the Senators as minus 220 favorites. The Islanders lose to the Sabres 6-3. to three. The Sabres were plus 175 underdogs in that one, win that one by three. Final segment of primetime action here on a Tuesday coming up.
You are looking live at primetime action with Gil Alexander and Matt Brown on VSIN, the sports betting network. Final segment of primetime action here. Going to talk about some VSIN madness. VSIN has a great new offer that can only be described as madness. You get VSIN all access to everything we do from now through the college basketball championship on April the 4th. We're only $29. Sign up now and get our daily best bet emails, 24 7 video access, the upcoming college hoops betting guide. Bracket breakdowns plus full access to VEASAN.com with our exclusive betting split breakdowns on every single game. This deal only happens once a year, so don't miss out. VEASAN.com slash madness to sign up today. Only $29 for now until April. What a deal. It is a great it's deal. It's madness. I mean, it's madness. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic deal. You get this man to my right. Uh, I mean, who does more than anybody on that? You get all of his goodness. Burke's betting blurbs every day. Is it? Is that? Am I calling it right? Am you I are. saying it? Okay, You're absolutely right. It's a lot of bees. Burke's betting blurbs. But you just more kind of lay out some games, right? Like you're not necessarily making picks in these games, right? No, I mean, one of the things that I really want to do with the Burke's betting yeah. blurbs thing is I don't want to tell people what to exactly. Bet. I want to tell them He's how to bet. He's imparting logic. I, yes, I love that. I love that. He's imparting betting advice. How to fish, not logic. here's the fish. Exactly. There you, know? you go. I love that. That's a good approach. That is the way this that's the way that that's the future of all of this, right? It's like helping people understand why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Well, and that's that's why I thought it was important again to clarify when we talk about the Super Bowl mm-hmm. futures, you know, where we're, people are going to look at this and say how could you possibly bet the Falcons or the Panthers to win the Super Bowl? And it's not betting them to win the Super Bowl. It's essentially betting them to get to the playoffs to where we can, you know, make some kind of profit off of it. Those are things that I think are really important for people to understand because a lot of people are just going to bet the seven to one price, tie up their money for mm-hmm. what almost a year, you know, 362 days, whatever it is until Super Bowl 57. You know, there, there's a lot of different ways to make money in this business. And, and that's what I try to showcase and what I think we do a good job of showcasing here across all of our programming and our platforms. Adam, you brought it up, but it is uh, it is holding steady here. We are at the 545 mark of the first half and Tennessee is all over Kentucky in this one. Yeah, I will say, though, tonight across the board in college basketball, we've had some games go to overtime. Texas and Oklahoma was a very close game. South Carolina beat Ole Miss on a half-court heave in overtime. Uh, You know, we've got Villanova and Providence looks to be coming down to the wire. A lot of really good games tonight in college basketball. So hopefully this one kind of uh, narrows a little bit for you here. Yeah, you had Duke with it winded up winning by two over Wake, 76-74. Texas Oklahoma went to overtime, Texas 80 to 78 in that one. It is one thirty to seventy nine in favor of the Celtics. Not a close game. That's <laughs> wild. Hey, you know what? I want to bring up the coach of the year. I want to bring up one more one yeah. thing about quick. I I agree with you guys. I think you're all over with Monty Williams. A, a rightful short shot. Especially you have to factor in. You have to factor this in because this is a little bit of what we thought about with Cooper Cup winning the MVP, uh, Super Bowl MVP. Where is 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 some of it carryover from the regular season? You kind of want to give it to the guy. Yeah. Monty Williams. You have to remember was right at the top last. Year with Quinn Snyder with 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 Thibodeau right there to the end last year, and you could have made an easy argument for him to win, and he ended up losing. And so I think there's part of that that's going to lead 
them him to winning this this year, I think some of that's going to be baked in on top of, of course, having the team with the best record. I will make an argument, though, with Taylor Jenkins that if you could find a price, and of course you could have found much better prices on him earlier in the year, but you're talking about a Memphis team that if somehow they surpass the Golden State Warriors or something and end up second in that Western Conference, I think his team's really going to be turning people people's heads. If you can get over 6-1 to one on a guy like that, I think it might be to at least worth a small shot. Something I'm at least looking at playing here in the next couple days. Well, and similarly, Billy Donovan at 7-1, to one, right? I mean, if, if the Bulls yeah. win the Eastern Conference. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know it's not the record that Monty Williams has, but also Billy Donovan did not have the team. <laughs> the well, Phoenix Suns and, and Adam, that's part of, like part of my point is I think the Grizzlies could get to second in the West because the West isn't nearly as competitive. The East is ultra competitive, and the Bulls are a half game out of first place in it. So right. I think you're absolutely right. There's an argument there for Billy Donovan. I, I, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing if Monty Williams wins. I mean, you know, look, he, so, he has the well best deserved. record in the NBA. Yeah, and, and as you said, he was right there last year too. But to me, I think Coach of the Year should be about – somebody who doesn't really have a lot to work with and elevates it. I, I think if you win a ton of games with a really good team, that's great. That's all well and good. But I mean, that was your expectation. It made more sense. I completely agree with you. It made more sense for him to have won it last year than this year to, to me, right? right? Because that's when all those guys really, I mean, ate and came out of the scene more. You had Mikhail Bridges coming up, um, Bridges coming out of the scene more. I, I mean, Cameron Johnson, name after name that he really kind of helped build up. So I, I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. We got one late tip tonight. Clippers going on the road to play those Phoenix Suns. That number is 12 and a half to 13 right now. Uh, let's see. I think we got a final injury report. Uh, 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 Eastern. Uh, let's see. Kennard will go tonight, it looks like, for the Clippers. So you can factor him in. He was out last night when they played. Um, and then basically the same guys that have been out for the Suns are out. Uh, no Landry Shaman, no campaign, no Frank Kaminsky. They've been out all out for a while now, though. Um, listen, this is one I wouldn't I wouldn't be laying the points, but it's really hard to take the point uh, take the points too with this Clippers team tonight on, on the road, back to back situation. I love big these, win last night as well. Big win, you know. Yeah, it's it, did and, you go out and have a couple of cocktails after winning by 15 last night? You would think. I love the youth and the depth that they have, and I do think that they could keep this close. But the Suns are also one of those few teams in the NBA. That have their blowout potential any any team they play any night of the week. Over in the NHL, we did have another couple of finals here in this one. We had so talked about the uh, the Blues were over over the Senators. Blues were minus two twenty favorites, so they get it done on the road. The Sabers were the plus one seventy five underdogs that win six to three. The Lightning six to three over the Devils. They were minus three hundred favorites in that one. The Penguins beat the Flyers five to four. Uh, as minus three twenty favorites there, so the Flyers gave them all they could handle, and then the Rangers two to one winners over the Bruins. Rangers also minus one fifty favorites. So four out of five games go to the favorites there. Adam, one of those things where you know you start to see these minus two twenties, minus three hundreds. And look, one, the one was close, Pittsburgh five to four, or whatever. But you start to see these kind of bigger favorites and stuff. And I'm I'm you know you know far better than I with all this, but 
there is must be a reason as to why they are as big a favorites as they are. We we always talk about this. It's like, oh man, hockey is so random. It's got to be worth it to bet on the other side. It's got to be worth it to bet on the other side. But then you see these kind of convincing wins from the majority of these teams here, and you start to go, well, I mean, there's a reason they're they're minus three hundred. Yeah, and in the NHL this season specifically, heavy favorites have done extremely well. It's been a very very high percentage that they've come through. Very good ROI if you're if you're going ahead and taking a lot of those big prices. To that end about Pittsburgh, I think it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting that Philadelphia's a really bad team. Andy McNeil talked about that on yesterday's show when I kind of asked him if there was a negative regression yeah. team or something like that. He said he expected the Flyers to just continue to be really bad. The Pittsburgh had some trouble with them tonight on a night when Sidney Crosby scored his 500th goal. Now coming up on Thursday night, Pittsburgh's at Toronto. And Toronto, of course, a team that you were on last night yeah. that Andy told you to be on last night against the Kraken. Uh I'm really going to be curious to see what that line looks like on Thursday because Pittsburgh played that tough physical game with Philadelphia, the big Crosby moment at home, all of that. And then now they go to Toronto to play a very, very good Maple Leafs team. That's an interesting game I'm looking at for Thursday. And again, just to talk about, you know, some of those things where I try to help people with how to bet, not what to bet, kind of looking ahead for stuff like that, kind of seeing how a a result may impact a game down the line. That's something I really like to do. And I'll be looking to see where that line is for Thursday's game between the Penguins and the Maple Leafs. I love the wording that Adam used there to describe your bet last year. He's like, you know, the, the Maple Leafs that you were on last night, or, you know, that Andy told you to bet last night. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. A win is a win is a win is a win. Hey, is. I'm back in the black. I'll have you know. He just I'm clar- a winning hockey sports better on this network. He just clarified that you should not actually be listening. Matt will not actually be giving out any NHL betting advice. And if he is, no. you should probably be uh, a little weird. As we, uh, as we close things out here, one of the things I did want to point out, too, as I start to kind of look forward into some of these things that we're, you know, big into here on the network, specifically big into here on the show, the, the NFL draft. Uh, treated us very, very well last year. If you were, if you if you tailed us last year, then you're probably still uh, feeling pretty good about all that. Kelly, one of the things we started to see here, it was Kayvon Thibodeau early on, then it was Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, then it had moved to Aiden Hutchinson. Now it is over, now it is Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. Evan Neal now, the offensive lineman, has moved to the second shot to go number one overall with Kayvon Thibodeau moving down to the third spot. So Aiden Hutchinson plus 160, Evan Neal two to one, Kayvon Thibodeau three and a half to one now. So a big, big push for an offensive lineman here to move up into that number one spot. And I think it comes down to the fact that really nobody has just been sold on Hutchinson and Thibodeau being Everyone thinks they're really good, but no one thinks that they are so far above everybody else that a guy like Evan Neal couldn't push his way into that number one spot. Yeah, and I think it's really important to to clarify that you guys had a really good draft season because there's a lot of smoke screens. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation out there and all of that. The draft is something where you have to find trustworthy sources, and that's what you guys are here on the show. Yeah, be sure, and and we're going to monitor all this stuff and certainly keep you up to date on where these odds show up because, I mean, listen, there might be start to be some value on some of these guys as they start to drift a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Thibodeau does still go number one overall. His odds are getting much, much better for us now. We'll talk some golf tomorrow here on the show. Wes Reynolds will be in. Matt, Kelly, Adam, talk to you guys tomorrow.